let's uh, let's come back together. I want us to. Uh, we've got a couple weeks left in our look at uh, leadership and uh, the roles of elders and deacons. We've talked a lot about the character and uh, the building blocks of what it looks like for all of us to foster our relationship with the Lord in such a way that that we are building these characteristics in the fruit of the Spirit and honoring the gifting and calling that, uh, that varies with different personalities and backgrounds to, uh, to allow us to have a rich and healthy uh, life in growth and Christ-like character. And from that, building and having folks who begin to share and live out uh, the unique callings or the specific callings of leadership within the church. And we've been looking uh, over the last few weeks at uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, reminding ourselves that Paul's letter here is to Timothy, who's leading a church that, like all of our churches, has good days and bad days, differences and disagreements, and how it is that in the midst of that, uh, leadership is encouraged with those things that are fundamental uh, in such a way that the entire body of Christ and the community in which it lives are impacted by the nature and quality of Christ-like character of embracing 1 Corinthians 13 and, uh, and Galatians fruit of the spirit. Today, I'm really excited because we're going to talk about deacons and uh, I, I just really have a heart for the ministry and the calling uh, of deacons. And so I want to put the text in front of us this morning. I'll be reading uh, from the New Testament for everyone. So it'll be a little different uh, than your uh, ESV translation. And I'll actually be reading uh, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, which uh, focuses more on the deacons in 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy 3, 18, uh, sorry, 8 through 13, hear now God's word. In the same way, deacons must be serious-minded, not the sort of people who say one thing today and another tomorrow, not heavy drinkers, not eager for shameful gain. They must hold on to the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. They must first be tested, then when they have been found without reproach, may serve as deacons. The women folk too should be serious-minded, not slanderers, but temperate and faithful in all things. Deacons should have only one wife and should be well charged of their children and their household. Those who serve well as deacons, you see, gain a good platform for themselves to speak out boldly the faith which is in King Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is your word, and we pray that you would, as you always do in the teaching of your word, bless it. We pray that people would again be encouraged, Lord, of the great hope of what it means to be holy and set apart, what it means to be your hands and feet. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you'll notice in your worship folder, if you have it, there's a wonderful quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, which says this, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Even if 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted and happy 
before year's end. C.S. Lewis is, is reflecting and encouraging this idea that real holiness set apart for the purposes of God is and always is attractive. It gathers in particularly those who are most in need and those who feel most vulnerable. It is uh, from the very beginning God's covenant purposes with Abraham and his family for them to be holy, set apart. And part of their holiness is wrapped around this important encouragement and direction that they will be a blessing to all the nations, that the impact of having that unique relationship with God is such that they will then become a blessing to all the nations. And we are in our discussion of deacons looking at what it means to have an entire group designated within the community of faith to really live out and to be the embodiment of being a blessing to all the nations, to be God's hands and feet, to show the practical implications and the material benefits of what it means to have a group of people whose calling and pleasure is to spread the joy of the gospel through deeds and love of love and mercy. I want us to see the role of deacon, although it is difficult and weighty, as such a great joy and the way in which holiness becomes a practical joy and a practical outworking of the love of God and his delight in us and in his creation. And so this morning, briefly, we'll look at the role of a deacon as a high calling, that there is, secondly, a high standard, and then thirdly, there is a high impact for those who serve as deacons. First, a high calling. Again, remember in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the impetus behind the creation of the diaconate was that the apostles being uh, somewhat stretched by the growth of the church and uh, by the normal rhythms of life, that the Hellenistic Jewish widows, those who weren't a part of the normal Palestinian Jerusalem widow uh, set, were being, or at least were concerned, that they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the diaconal response was one that created reconciliation and restoration within the community of faith. It, it built on the biblical idea and Jesus's teaching that was breaking down the walls of old boundaries and old barriers, uh, certainly no less those that were financial and racial. And we have uh, then, you, if you will, an entire group of people whose goal is to implement Micah 6.8, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with their God. And so the impetus behind the diaconate was to, again, put hands and feet and focus and time on what it means to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Because as we know, Jesus models the humility of service for those who are most at need in his ministry and which, of course, are all of us. But it is from that amazing and wonderful opportunity, though uh, one that brought up by a, a conflict, that we have the deacon's initial calling. And then here in 1 Timothy, as Paul is instructing this minister on how to bring 
uh, good teaching and good practice to a church in Ephesus that is being strained and stretched by false teaching, by a lot of uh, conflict and uh, a lot of arguments for the sake of argument's sake that are dividing and draining the life and vitality out of the church. We see in chapter 3, verses 9 and 13, that the deacons have a high calling first in verse 9 to be those uh, that will uphold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now, that may seem a little mysterious, but I want to encourage you, if you will, just go ahead and look uh, at chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through 16, and we see that Paul unpacks this idea of the mystery of the faith. Verse 16, indeed, the mystery of godliness is certainly great. And then there's this wonderful poem that he was revealed in the flesh, reflecting on Christ's incarnation, vindicated in the spirit, reflecting the resurrection and uh, God's vindication of Christ in his ministry in the resurrection by the power of the spirit, his appearance to angels. And again, it's a little bit of a question there as to whether or not that's heavenly angels or the apostles who become his messengers. The Greek uh, word there is for those who, who bring the, you know, who are messengers. Announced to the Gentiles, which of course is Paul's ministry, was believed in in the world and was taken up in glory. And so these are mysterious things, how they can all be true, and particularly in a Greek worldview where the spirit and the physical are separated and not seen in any way. As, as a pleasant design to be together, unified, whole, but wrestling with this spiritual and physical uh, conflict. And here is this hymn saying that the mystery of the faith is these things are brought together, that the richness of that is witnessed by both angels, whether, again, heavenly angels to be sure, but also uh, those uh, called to be the apostles who saw him in the resurrected flesh and spoke about him and uh, to this day minister in his name, and as the gospel then transcends the uh, lines of old Jewish ethnic and religious uh, parameters and becomes all that the promise of Abraham was meant to be in the wider world to all nations. And so deacons are going to have this ability in their ministry to speak of these things and to hold of these uh, hold these great uh, truths together. Clearly, Stephen does it well, at least well enough to get stoned, because whatever he's saying is clearly challenging the people of his day enough to where uh, it elicited a pretty strong response. And then if you jump back up a little bit, looking at verse 13, and again, some of the translations, the ESV kind of masks this, which maybe because we're concerned about having deacons preaching. So we're trying to keep the roles distinct, but Paul seems less interested in our distinctions. Paul says, those who were ser serve well as deacons, you see, gain a good platform for themselves to speak out boldly in the faith which is in King Jesus. There's something about the way in which the deeds of love and mercy, the role of the diaconate in unpacking Micah 6.8, for us in being the means of our reconciliation and restoration with one another in our community, uh, to be the, the hands and feet of the promise of Ezekiel and the calling of Jeremiah to be a blessing to
to the cities in which we are placed by our Lord and Savior. When we do that well inside the community of faith and to those around us, that it provides amazing opportunities to share the good news of the gospel, to give testimony to the hope that is within us. And there is something inherent in the diaconal calling and role and gifting that Paul says will give us regular opportunities to speak of where we have the generosity, the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the kindness, the willingness to share resources that seem to be limited in a generous way. Those things open opportunities to share the good news and the mystery of the faith of who Christ is. And so it is a high calling to be those who are both working for justice and mercy and to walk humbly with our God, but also those who, because of that, will have opportunity to speak of the gospel uh, to those gathered around by their ministry. This, of course, again, allows them to follow in the feet and the footsteps of our, Christ, of our Savior. Again, he is both the model but also the strength. It is, uh, again, in the middle of Easter season where we rejoice in the strength and power that Christ gives us because of his accomplished work, because he did take the burden of sin and death off our shoulders at the cross, because it is the faith in him and not our own efforts that we know that the work we do in caring for one another, modeled so well by deacons, is not an effort to make our God like us, but is because we have been made like our God, we can delight in serving and act like him. Of course, there is a high standard. Uh, this is not a high standard to earn the office, but it is a high standard uh, of looking at the life of a believer who is growing in Christ and to a certain degree where their maturity level is because the weight is high. And it will press on any cracks and stresses in our relationship with God and with one another. And so Paul goes through a list here that certainly holds the role of deacon up to the same standards spiritually and maturity-wise as those of elders. And so we see that their words matter. Self-control continues to be important. Not greedy. Again, given the role of interacting with those who are oftentimes financially at risk and needy, perhaps not wise in the way that money is used, all of the power and all of the wisdom of Proverbs about how to deal wisely and lovingly and generously with those, not using the worldly standards of, if you're not smart enough to know what's going on, don't sign on the dotted line, but the gracious love of Christ that does not take advantage of those who perhaps are less wise as we care for and encourage. It is a temptation in diaconal roles at times, Paul says, uh, to perhaps use those funds unwisely or unfairly. 
And so the character of the deacon needs to be one where they are known for the way in which they provide for their families and how they interact with money. It is, of course, in all of these things, just another way of saying, unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, kingdom ethics. How do we live in line with who Christ is? Because now we are in Christ Jesus. Of course, the uh, encouragement to have our ability to love and lead be first manifested in our families and in our relationships. And so again, we have the same encouragement if one is married to, to do that well and to be uh, one who can encourage and lead their family in the faith. Again, I want to say here that there is a way in which we need to think about how our misunderstanding of holiness and our perceived perception that it means holy people don't make mistakes as opposed to holy people are set to do a different task. Sometimes we've created an expectation that that means perfect families or families that at least per, uh, are perceived to be with little difficulty. Don't know that that's what Paul is getting at. Families will have difficulties. Children will grow up and wrestle with the faith their own way or uh, go through life's challenges. The question is more, is that relationship with the family one in which there is love and grace, gentleness and kindness, clear communication, respect, and mutual affection? Again, we know the difference between families that disagree but love one another and families whose disagreements are at the uh, leading edge of what is a deeper dissatisfaction and hurt and mistrust between them. It's not perfect families that Paul is learned, uh, instructing us, but families that are caring out of the context of the gospel. I don't believe that's lowering the standard. It is recognizing our dependence upon God. I cannot control, nor can our deacons or our elders, what our families do. What we can do is model Christ for them and allow them to respond to him. And so there is a high standard. But lastly, there is a high impact. And that is uh, seen in verse 13. Again, an opportunity to speak the gospel. And what we know from other diaconal passages is that as they begin to function in Acts chapter 6, God adds to their number. Uh, priests become uh, believers because of the way in which the deacons are caring for those in need. Uh, the generosity brings uh, people to faith. And we know in the history of the church that the diaconal functions of caring for those who are poor, those who are ill, those who were in need were primary ways in which people came into the Christian faith. There are many, many stories and uh, that relate how the diaconal work of the church in caring for and honoring those in need, not seeing them simply as recipients of mercy, but those who, as their needs were cared for, could themselves contribute to the church. Paul is going to talk about standards for widows to be on the list. There's clear evidence in the early church that different levels of support were given to different 
people who needed uh, a little bit more because they were older and perhaps couldn't work or were injured, those who could work a little bit and how that they would be given at different levels. There was wisdom, but there was care. I know that uh, in the PCA, in our own denomination, the, one of the leading factors in churches that see regular adult baptisms is the strength of their diaconal ministry outside the church. That many churches can grow, in fact, uh, and, and become very large, but those churches which have the highest percentage and rate of adult conversions, not simply church size, but conversions, are those who have diaconal ministries that permeate the community around them, are drawing people to faith. It is, again, not a surprise that the deacons lead the way in seeing people who are older, who, who are adults, who have not had contact with the faith, helping to dispel the perceived and real challenges in the church with the love and mercy of the calling of deacons. It is uh, the ministries of places like New City Fellowship in Chattanooga, in St. Louis, New Song in Baltimore, many other ministries around our country in and outside of cities who join together in sharing some of these stories and this wisdom on how to diaconally care for their communities. It blesses not only God's people, but also their cities. And in so doing, those who couldn't imagine themselves being Christians before begin to ask questions. Why is it that you can be so gracious, so generous, so forgiving, and so loving? So my encouragement, my hope, my prayer is that you would be praying for CVP in our development of deacons. We've had Randy Neighbors and Robert Blevins out a couple of times in the last few years to do some teaching on diaconal ministry. Session uh, spent a great deal of time in last year's uh, session retreat in working on uh, using the wisdom and experience from New City in Chattanooga. They have a full-time deacon on staff just on best practices and ways to encourage uh, the growth of our diaconal ministry. And I just know that the session would ask that you would be praying uh, for those folks among us who are gifted in that area, where the time would be made available, the calling would be made clear, and the gifting would be utilized. We delight and long to see the diaconate strengthened in our church. Encourage you to encourage those who have diaconal gifts to be using them and to be talking with the session and how we might move forward in the diaconal work of our church. Encourage one another as to use those gifts and pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. All of this is done in and through the work of the Spirit. I was reading Gordon Fee's commentary on Paul's epistles uh, which focuses on the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee is a, a Pentecostal scholar, and he just points out so well where Paul is always 
relying on the work of the Spirit and encouraging Timothy and all of the churches to know the fullness of what it is to have the Spirit indwelling and rich in them. We cannot move without Christ's Spirit in us and His work applied to us by the Spirit. So we ask again that you would be praying for a work of the Spirit, CVP, for our diaconal ministries to grow and strengthen in breadth and depth. It is a gift it is a joy and it is a comfort to have the ministry of deacons, to know the love that comes from Christ to us through their service. We just pray again and thank the Lord for those diaconal times when we have been cared for and pray that he might in ever greater degrees call us to care for one another and our community through the gift of deacons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the diaconate. We thank you for their care for us. We thank you for their gifts of patience and mercy and generosity. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen and encourage their work, grow their numbers. And Lord, again, may it be a blessing, not just within our community, but Lord, just a joy and a delight to share the generosity of who you are with the communities in which you've placed us. Thank you for this great blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.